welcome to another edition of the Odd Lots podcast. I'm Tracy Alloway, and uh, we have a very, very special episode for you today. Uh, many of you will have been following what's been happening in the cryptocurrency market, where uh, Bitcoin recently dipped below $6,000 per coin. That's down from a record high of, I think it was $18,000 back in January. And of course, lots of people uh, scratching their heads, trying to figure out what to make of the recent price movement, and lots of people trying to figure out, still, what to make of cryptocurrencies in general. Uh, so today, we have a treat for you, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we're going to be talking with two people who set up their own cryptocurrency, and one of them happens to be my co-host, Joe Weisenthal. Joe, say hi. Hi, Tracy. Thanks for having me on uh, Odd Lots today. <laughs> yes, a little bit of a uh, role reversal for you there. And your partner in uh, this cryptocurrency endeavor is also a previous guest on the Odd Lots podcast. It's Guan Yang. He is a data scientist at a tech startup. Hi, Guan. Hi, Tracy. So in that brief intro, I mentioned that you had set up your own cryptocurrency. Do either of you want to sort of set the stage for when you did this and why you decided to do it? Well, Guan, what year was that? It was in, in January of 2014. It was a time when it felt like everyone was setting up their own cryptocurrency. And a lot of these were vanity currencies. There was, uh, do you recall, Coinye West, which <laughs> didn't really get to actually launch. And, and as I remember the story, I was on vacation in Arizona and you DM'd me and, and said, there's all these people setting up their own cryptocurrency and there are journalists doing it. And, you know, this is a big problem because you wanted to be the first. Yeah, I, I don't remember. I remember like over <laughs> over uh, over New Year's vacation at uh, around end of 2013, beginning of 2014. I had this idea. It's like, oh, I should launch a cryptocurrency. And then I thought, you know who would be really interested because... He's really fun, and he has a great sense of humor, and a uh, say yes to new projects, joie de vivre, would be Guan. So I messaged Guan. I said, Guan, let's launch our own cryptocurrency, and we did it. We did, yeah. And I think we got ahead of at least the other other cryptocurrencies in, in media, at least. Guan, as soon as you said that Joe needed to be first, uh, I started laughing because that's the Joe that I recognize. Okay, so you make this decision to do it, but it can't be that easy, right? You have to actually figure out how your cryptocurrency is going to work. So how did you go about doing that? So at the time in, in January 2014, there were actually people trying to make it easier. I found this paid service and, and I actually paid them an amount of Bitcoin that would probably be worth thousands today. <laughs> uh, Dude, I'm sorry. <laughs> and it, it was uh, like a, a cryptocurrency as a service. You know, you paid them some Bitcoin, you put in the name of your cryptocurrency and the way that it would work, and, and they would create it for you. It turned out that it didn't work that well. So, you know, like like any good artist, I, I decided to steal something that already existed. And the most obvious choice was this cryptocurrency that was quite popular back then, and it's still pretty popular, I think, called Dogecoin. Is that how you would pronounce it, Joe? Yeah, Dogecoin. Yeah. Dogecoin is um, based on a meme of, uh, of this particular Shiba Inu that's uh, kind of a fox-like Japanese dog breed that's like the Instagram version of a corgi, becoming more popular <laughs> in the U.S., by the way. And there was a particular Japanese Shiba named Kabosu who became a meme. There were all these captions like, wow, and 
such something, very something. Such moon. Exactly, yeah. And obviously when that happened in 2013, someone had to create a cryptocurrency based on, on this poor dog. Well, and the other thing is you mentioned stealing, but like all these currencies, the code is open for the most part. So Bitcoin, right. Litecoin, Dogecoin, which I think is based on Litecoin, all you have to do in a way is copy and paste the code and then change a few parameters, maybe change the name, and essentially, they're, everyone's kind of copying off of everyone. Yeah, and until a couple of years ago, all of these cryptocurrencies were almost all basically copies of Bitcoin. Dogecoin is based on something called Litecoin, which changed some some key details, but the basic architecture, if you open up the software on your computer, it uh, they all sort of look the same. In, in the case of Dogecoin, they changed a lot of the the menus and the, the branding to be more meme of course. So stalwart bucks was a clone of Dogecoin, which was a clone of Litecoin, which was a clone of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we would say a fork. A fork, yes. Right. And Stalwart Bucks, for those who don't know, uh, Joe's handle on Twitter is, of course, the Stalwart. So you named it after yourself, even though Guan was doing all the work, of course. Have you ever told the origin story of that name? Oh, yeah. I don't know. I feel like I might be an unreliable narrator on this. What's your recollection of the origin (laughs) story? I don't really know. You you had uh, some kind of stock tips blog with this name? Well, I had... I don't, I don't know what the reasoning was. It sounded pretty goofy, like stalwart bucks, <laughs> like maybe like some sort of like fake currency you would get at an arcade or something like that, like that you would only be able to use to play video games or something. I think in retrospect, though, that may have been our first error is not giving it a more august and serious sounding name. I, don't, <laughs> I, I think that that right off the bat may have set us on the wrong the wrong foot. Yeah, you, you know, it was that, like many startups, it was like that rush to launch. Yeah, and, right. And move we, fast. We that it's not always a good idea. Okay, so we have a little bit of foreshadowing there of what's to come. But, you know, you mentioned Stalwart Bucks is a clone of Dogecoin, which is a clone of Litecoin. And this is a question I always have about cryptocurrencies, which is that anyone can launch these things. And so in order to be successful, you kind of have to focus on either first mover advantage or adoption. So what was your big plan to get people on board with Stalwart Bucks? Well, so this was actually the one idea that I think we were pretty legitimately ahead of our time on. So obviously the trend in 2017 was initial coin offerings And the premise would be that of many of these coin offerings that the token has some sort of redeemable value. So, for example, some projects are we've seen like, oh, you could use this token to buy storage space on people's computer for data or something like that. And we had the idea that every month Guan and I would host a dinner among journalists or among people. And we would like get together and talk about economics or cryptocurrencies and that to come to the dinner you would have to pay in stalwart bucks and that that would sort of set a floor for the currency. So if it was really desirable to come to this dinner, then people would have to bid up for the currency to get it. One of the first currencies, I think, to attempt to underpin the currency with real world value. You did have to pay for the food separately. Right. So it didn't get (laughs) the the currency didn't even get you the food. It just got you (laughs) the ability to come to the dinner. The honor of being there. Okay, so how many of these dinners did you actually hold? And what was adoption like? I think we've had about 10, 10 or 11 so far over the course of yeah, you know, we've three had, and a half years. Uh, we've had, I think we've had more than that. I bet we've had close to 20, and we still have them. But even starting from the first one, I think, <laughs> we were never actually able to convince people to actually use the currency to come. So we yeah. would insist that... 
You want to talk? I, about I think it? at the first dinner, maybe about half the, the the people at the dinner actually paid the the required fee in stalwart bucks, and and lately it's been a lot less than that. Zero. Wait. So how did people actually go about acquiring stalwart bucks? So there there were basically two ways. One is that you could buy stalwart bucks from someone who already had them, or you could get them. I know. I, I would often just give them out for free, just for for fun. <laughs> And and like most cryptocurrencies, the other way that you could get them is by mining them, by solving this this computational problem, this math problem, basically. And the the blockchain, the software, would then award you some stalwart bucks as as a reward for for spending some you know some time on your computer and some electricity to to solve this problem for us. And how people were mining them, right? People what were mining you, them. You were probably the biggest miner, but what's the history of the mining? I think that you and I only control about ten or fifteen percent of all the stalwart bucks in existence. So, you know, the I would say the vast majority of the stalwart bucks were mined by other people who who are not sitting in this room. <laughs> Wait, so how many stalwart bucks are in existence now? Oh, this is a good question. Yeah, there's I, a lot to this. There's a lot to this. So if you you know if you if I check in the database, it's uh, it's it, it's about ten or fifteen, ten to fifteen billion. But then also, oh, wow. <laughs> Another error that we may have made in terms of serious adoption is: didn't we make it so that they were mined in increments of one, or like that each coin, each allocation was automatically yeah, so a billion? We, so that from the moment you started, you were everyone. The moment they acquired anything, was a stalwart bucks billionaire. Do you want to explain that? Yes. So that that was the original goal that you know you would be mining in increments of a billion, or maybe ten, or or a large multiple of a billion. Unfortunately, the Bitcoin slash Litecoin slash Dogecoin software that we use, the field that they use to store how many coins you have was not big enough to both be mining in increments of a billion and, and have a reasonable amount in existence. Right. So this was like the really where the user experience, in my recollection, broke down. Because yeah. you would instantly, when you would first get them, you would immediately get like, a billion or actually several billion. Oh, we would just label them as a billion stalwart bucks in the software. So when you looked at it, it would look it would it would say, you know, twenty-five, and then we would wrote write B S B X. So was was getting those or sorry, was mining those in increments of a billion, was that supposed to be a gimmick just to get more people on board so that they can say that they're stalwart bucks billionaires? Uh yeah, I think you could say that that was a gimmick. <laughs> okay. And the amount of stalwart bucks in existence, I mean, crypto proponents often talk about how Bitcoin is sort of self-limiting. There's a limited supply um, in existence. And in essence, the thing is kind of deflationary. Was that the same idea for stalwart bucks as well? No, we, we decided not to limit the amount of stalwart oh, bucks in existence. Hmm. No, it just keeps going, but it, it's growing very slowly now. Now it's a thousand per per mining. So it does ask some it does decline on a predictable schedule. It's just there's no hard limit. There's no limit. It'll go on forever, unlike, uh, say, Bitcoin, where eventually you're going to keep mining, but no new Bitcoin will be created at some point. And in fact, Bitcoin will be destroyed as people lose their their passwords and so forth. So do you have uh, any idea of who else was mining or even buying Stalwart Bucks? So I, I think most of the miners sort of in, in headcount were people who knew about it from the finance Twitter community. There were like a few, though, like on Twitter who from crypto, I think the early crypto Twitter from back then, 
I think we would see people tweet about mining it from time to time. Yeah, but yeah, there are also people just uh, sort of from the broader crypto community who already had a big mining rig right. and who, um, I, I don't know if anyone really took it that seriously, but who took their big mining rig and said, you know, for the next couple of hours, I'm just going to mine stalwart bucks. Why not? I think uh, at the time, these days, I don't think anyone who actually had any significant hash power or a mining rig would waste their time on something like that. But it still in twenty in early 2014, it was still like mostly weirdos and hobbyists. And even judging by the seriousness with which we took this project, no one knew that crypto was going to be as big then as it is now, obviously. So I think maybe there was a little bit more of a tolerance or interest in sort of quirky projects like this just for the fun of it, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think none of the cryptocurrencies that people talk about now are are even meme-based at all. That's really sad. <laughs> right. So one of the pervasive problems in many parts of crypto land right now is this idea of crypto whales or people who own big proportions of a certain coin, uh, notably Bitcoin, for instance. Do you have any suspicions that there's someone out there who, given possibly the limited participation that you had in Stalwart Bucks, uh, forgive me for saying so. Do you have any suspicion that there's one or two people out there who uh, are holding a big chunk of the market? Besides Guan? Yeah, besides Guan and yourself. I don't think there's anyone who's both a Stalwart Bucks whale and remembers that they have Stalwart Bucks. Didn't you, but didn't you say <laughs> that at one point you were surprised to see that there was one other like pretty significant miner in this space? There was, yeah. I, I don't think we ever figured out who that was. It was traded at one point. There was an exchange. What's the story with that? Do you remember? I don't really know the backstory. We didn't have any contact with them. Back then, there were lots of crypto exchanges. Mt. Gox was still in existence yeah. in the early 2014, but there were tons of other exchanges that were trading all these weird uh, cryptocurrencies like Litecoin and Dogecoin, KittyCoin, and all these others. And the one that we got listed on was called CryptoCo.in, so CryptoCoin. IN is India, but it's not necessarily in India. Yeah, I, I don't think they were actually oh, based I in see. India. Yeah, But if I recall... The only it was traded on this one site, and the only pair was stalwart bucks to Dogecoin. Exactly. Right? So yeah. there was at one point on an exchange <laughs> you could trade the Doge SBX pair, and so to figure out how much a stalwart bucks were actually worth, you had to figure out the stalwart bucks Doge exchange rate on this one exchange, and then the Doge to Bitcoin exchange rate, and then of course the Bitcoin to dollars exchange. Yeah, and as I recall, the the maximum market cap in dollars was about fifty thousand dollars. Isn't that incredible? That at one point, in theory, all of the stalwart bucks in existence on this very thinly traded exchange in this very tenuous <laughs> exchange rate technically was worth about fifty thousand dollars. You got you guys created a uh, fifty thousand out of thin air. That's pretty amazing. Literally, yeah. Thin air and some electricity. Yeah, that's true. So you mentioned price discovery there, Joe. So with without the exchange, would there have been any way to figure out what a stalwart buck is actually equivalent to in fiat currency or other cryptocurrency? I mean, I guess you could. The only other way to do it, if you don't have an exchange, would be OTC trades. In other words, someone sends Guan a dollar for 10 billion stalwart bucks, whatever. And those exist in cryptocurrencies today, those kind of OCC trades. 
but there would be no transparency or real like market price discovery. Back back in 2013-2014 there was actually a pretty active Bitcoin OTC market. There were these internet chat rooms on on IRC where you could say, you know, I'm I'm based in New York. I would like some Bitcoin at this price and then you would you you would either PayPal them some money which PayPal wasn't happy about. You might meet them at Starbucks and and exchange dollar bills and they would transfer some some Bitcoin to you. I kind of feel like that's going to be the future of that eventually the crypto market might go back to that. It's totally plausible to me to see one day regulators be like, you know, we don't want banks to be dealing with cryptocurrency exchanges in the future for whatever reason. And it's totally plausible to me that the crypto market could once again return to people trading Bitcoins for cash on Starbucks again. Yeah, they, they they even had this complicated reputation system where if, if you'd completed a successful transaction, there was a bot that would keep track of of your reputation, and uh, <laughs> there there were some scams on on that channel too, as I recall. Scams with crypto, shocking. So, you know, you mentioned that you were acting a, a little bit like a sort of tech startup at the beginning. Were there any? disagreements that you two had along the way in terms of how you were actually constructing or deploying Stalwart Bucks? I don't think so. I think like the biggest regret is rushing to market because I think we got the whole project done in like three days. And I think that if we had waited even like six days, we could have made a lot of uh, user experience tweaks that might not have saved Stalwart Bucks but at least given it a slightly better shot. Like we used, I think we just used the existing Dogecoin wallet and that had a lot of like the Doge memes, like the dog paw print on it and stuff like that. Probably that would have been worth a tweak. Rethinking about how cumbersome it would be to denominate everything in billions might've been helpful. So a few things like that, I don't think uh, rushing out that fast was probably the best move for market adoption. And the person that we were rushing to beat was uh, Alex Hearn of The Guardian. Yeah. And I don't think he, the, the Hearn coin ever really took off. Right. So. He used, didn't he use the third party service? I, I don't remember. I think he did. I think I, we were so focused on beating other people. And of course, our project went further than everyone else's because I think those were just like one day jokes. But if we had put any sort of serious planning into it, who knows what could have happened? There was a coin that launched a couple of months later in, in, in March of 2014 called Ars Coin from, from the Ars Technica folks. Oh. And they put in more, than, more of an effort to create tools for it to be useful to, to a normal user. So they had, instead of having to download this complicated software, you could have an account on a website, sort mm. of like a bank, and store your, your Ars Coin there. But it, it hasn't thrived, has it? No. Well, that I guess that makes me feel good because it means... No matter what we did, ours probably wasn't going to thrive either. Yeah. And what's the big takeaway uh, that both of you learned about either cryptocurrencies or normal fiat currencies based off your experience? I'll be honest. I'm still kind of upset that we were like launching a currency in 2014 and are not insanely rich. Like I kind (laughs) of feel like if we had taken it a little bit more seriously or a lot more, actually a lot more seriously and... You never know. Like, it could have been the next Litecoin or even, like, Dogecoin, I think, at one point this year had, like, a total market cap, like, close to a billion dollars. So if you have, like, 10 or 5 or even 1% of that, that is really an extraordinary amount of money. And Dogecoin has really outlived the Doge meme itself. Yeah, it has. So in retrospect, I think, like, 
you have to be pretty impressed with anyone who is into crypto and launching their own coins in 2014 who is not now like incredibly loaded. And that's sort of weird to think about. Yeah, I would agree. I, I'm also very upset that Joe and I are not insanely rich. I, I think one um, another sort of sad aspect of this is that the so the original concept was that all these dinners would be at Korean barbecue restaurants, and the one that we always went to, Kangsu on Thirty uh, Second Street, is now closed, and, and all of Koreatown is uh, you know still thriving, but in a very different form with with no more mom and pop restaurants. Yeah. But I will say on the plus side, you know, we continue to have these dinners. And uh, if there are any odd lots uh, listeners who want to come to the next one, they should uh, shoot me a message. We've met a lot of people at those dinners and we've made like some good friends and we always have a good time. And we usually I think we have like what, like four or five a year, something like that. Yeah. We've probably had about four or five a year since early 2014. So something uh, lasting and good came out of the project. And one thing that I strongly feel about all cryptocurrencies is they are sort of like de facto social networks. They only have value because people decide they have value. And the ones that more people decide have value tend to accumulate more value. So we sort of got the uh, social networking aspect right just on an incredibly uh, micro scale. Right. You just need a a bigger social network there, Joe. Yeah, exactly. Well, that has really been a fascinating discussion. Um, I'm going to bring Joe back in as a co-host because I feel very uncomfortable doing it on my own. Uh, But Guan Yang, thank you so much for joining us again on the Odd Thoughts podcast. Really fun episode. Thank you for having me. Uh, So, Joe, I know you were just talking about this, but one thing that I probably am taking away from your experience is the importance of the crypto exchanges when it comes to price discovery for crypto and sort of legitimizing these things. And to your point, I do think the exchanges are really, really important to what we've seen over the past year or so when Bitcoin and other coins were really going gangbusters, reaching $18,000. And I wonder what that market looks like if you don't have those functioning exchanges. Oh, I I think there's no question that the professionalization and security of the exchanges, the idea that, I mean, first of all, a lot of these exchanges or most of them at that time, you, you couldn't even buy Bitcoin with fiat currency. So the idea that you can even use dollars to buy cryptocurrency these days is kind of extraordinary. And I think a lot about like these exchanges as being the pipes in for money. And back then the pipes were incredibly thin. And these days the pipes in have gotten a lot thicker. Uh, but of course, we know from the efforts to have ETFs and to have futures and other sort of cryptocurrencies or Bitcoin traded on uh, more traditional exchanges within the community, there's still a huge effort to just make it as easy as buying anything else. And that's uh, very important, I think, for sort of financial adoption. Yeah. And as much as people complain about the difficulty of buying or selling crypto using various services, it has come a long way in a relatively short amount of time. Uh, Joe, I have one more question for you. Yeah. (laughs) Can I have a stalwart buck? Uh, I'm going to you'll have to get one from Guan because I never (laughs) I have to admit that I had my wallet 
only on some computer at my old job, which I left <laughs> like four years ago. So I am a I'm broke in Star Wars. I have zero Star Wars bucks. But Guan actually does still have his functioning wallet, and I have a feeling that next time you're in town, maybe we'll have a Star Wars dinner. And if you want to properly pay, he would be glad to give you some so that you can pay your entry fee. All right. Another valuable lesson about um, keeping your wallet safe. Yeah, uh, this has been another episode of the Odd Lots podcast. I'm Tracy Alloway. You can follow me on Twitter at Tracy Alloway. And I'm Jill Weisenthal. You can follow me on Twitter at The Stalwart. And you should follow Guan on Twitter at Guan. And you should follow our producer on Twitter, Topher Forges. He's at Forges T, as well as the Bloomberg head of podcast, Francesca Levy, at Francesca Today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>